Father, thank you today for who you are and what you're doing. And God, we, we don't want to be bystanders when it comes to spiritual things. You have called us to be the church. And Lord, we, we have been given an incredible assignment by you. And not just incredible in scope, but just the dignity and the worth of being called to walk after Jesus, to continue what, what he began here, uh, what he accomplished as well. We just long to step into that place. So God, would you just help us move together in that direction as a congregation? We love you, we honor you, and we thank you for the beauty of your word and the ministry of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Well, Happy New Year again. If you just tuned in or wandered in, happy 2023, finally here. Um, and to kick off this year, we are going to launch a new sermon series that is probably going to lead into springtime. Um, this is could be a long one, but I think it's going to be a fun one because we are going to dig into the book of Acts. Um, it comes right after the Gospels. We're, we're going to explore Acts together, the people, the action, you know, just everything that's going on there for a reason. And um, I, I believe it couldn't come at a more appropriate time for the church. Um, I think it's, it's so good right now to be reminded of the story and, and what happened next. And so we're going to do that. Um, and I'll tell you why I think it's uh, really appropriate in just a little bit, but I'm going to start off with, with looking through Scripture. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a kind of a historical look at mankind, because with these eyes and these brains, we can look around us and go, here's what's up, here's what's going on, here's what comes next. It's much better to look through the lens of Scripture, especially today and what we're going to be talking about. So when we look at the history of mankind, okay, our story through the lens of Scripture, there are some fascinating trends. Um, I'm only going to look at one of them today. Uh, maybe we'll get to some of the others later on. But one of them that jumps out from the very beginning and goes all the way up through the present is um, a tendency we have. And the, the, the tendency is to spiritually swerve off the path of life with God and go straight into a ditch. Uh, human beings have been doing that as long as there have been human beings. Uh, you can look throughout the Word of God and see it uh, like in the very beginning. Uh, Garden of Eden, did it happen then? Oh yeah, Adam and Eve straight into the ditch. Uh, you can look uh, five chapters later, right? Noah in the flood happens again. Fast forward just a little bit further uh, to the time of Exodus. Whether, you know, you, 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 know, you paint it as they are there for... for, for they're in Egypt for swerving off the, the road. But even after they leave, right, God is with them. And what do they do? All the way through the wilderness. I mean, just straight into it. A journey that should have taken 40 days took 40 years. Okay, why? Ditch time, okay? Um, ju jump ahead to the reign of King David. The same thing happens again and again and again and again. And th those are just a few of the lowlights of mankind but there are many more in the Old Testament. It's filled with them. And what happens is people start off in a dream scenario with God, right? I mean, here we are in the presence of God, uh, enjoying God's favor, God's goodness, His love, His protection, His blessing. And, and sooner or later, it's just not enough for us, you know? We just, ah, not enough. People get discontent and they, you know, start wanting what the nation next door has or the neighbor has next door. And, and, and then uh, you, one of two things happens every time to humans. We either have this wild breakaway from God, you know? We just start trucking in the other direction at top speed. And in the Old Testament, 
It seems to be uh, other religions and idols, but, you know, pleasures of this world or things that we think we need. There's the breakaway or there's the other one, which is the spiritual coma, where we see religious people just fall into this spiritual coma of rules, regulations, rituals, and they really are just kind of sleepwalking their faith. And so what gets people in the Old Testament back on track with God, back on that path of life every time is God. God rescues. Over and over and over again, God launches rescue missions for his people. And in the Old Testament, it happens through prophets and kings and judges, sometimes angels, or there's like the cherry on top, right? Theophanies. And these are the, these unique moments in the Old Testament where God just shows up in person. You know, think of the burning bush in Moses or uh, on Mount Horeb or Moses and God on Mount Sinai talking face to face or, or even the Exodus. Does God show up in the Exodus for his wayward people? Yeah. I mean, cloud by day leading them, fire by night. And the point here is this when it comes to us. God gives us laws, covenants, commands, and we break them. Uh, God sets moral, physical, spiritual boundaries for us, and we break them time and time again. So if you don't know this, I'm going to give you a secret of spiritual life. It is that in our flesh, by ourselves, no matter how good we think we are, we do spiritual life very poorly. And the point is this, Jesus got it right when he called us sheep. Spiritually speaking, and I know, it, it, and by the way, it's a divine insult, okay? So don't be too offended. But spiritually, we, we just are like sheep. It's who we are as human beings apart from God. You know, we, we wander away, you know, into, into all these places we shouldn't be. Um, as sheep, we will follow other sheep right off the cliff. Um, we, we'll even just run around in circles for hours. And by the way, Google this, okay? Go home and Google sheep running around in circles. I, I did it. It is absolutely hilarious. I saw a whole herd of sheep, just, I guess, I don't know who the leader was, and they're just going around and around, and it's like a blender, just around in circles for hours. This is what sheep do, and, and this is who we are, and that is the Old Testament. It is us running off like sheep, and God showing up like a shepherd to rescue us every single time. It's a beautiful story. It's kind of comical, kind of tragic on our end, but it's a beautiful thing that God has just did all throughout the Old Testament for us. Well, then we transport, okay, to the Gospels. The Gospel time period begins. We, we just celebrated it, by the way, okay? Advent, right, okay? Jesus comes down as the Son of God to this earth in the flesh. He comes into our darkness, and you know what it is for 33 years? It is Emmanuel, baby. It is God with us. In Jesus, here is God walking this earth. And for all those people, they can hear God now. They can see God. And just look at what God is doing in the Gospels in Jesus Christ. Everywhere Jesus goes, people are waking up. People are coming to life. Spiritual outcasts or sheep, okay? It's okay now to use that word, right? Sheep. Okay, uh, uh, spiritual outcasts of all kinds 
are being brought into the kingdom of God, and they're being brought into spiritual life with God. And it doesn't matter uh, uh, what label you put on the, on the outcast, right? I mean, they can be a beggar, they can be bedridden, they can be rich, they can be the most intellectual person around, they can be sexually confused or trapped, uh, they can be Jew or Gentile, depressed, sinful, lonely, young, old, male, female, short, tall. I could keep going, right? I think you've had enough. But it doesn't matter. It just And what's happening, though, don't miss this, is that Old Testament pattern. God shows up in the person of Jesus, and everything changes for us. Again, beautiful story, right? Well, you could probably guess what comes next. Um, it is that Jesus's life on this earth, it has an expiration date to it. I mentioned it a moment ago, it's 33 years. Jesus is here for 33 years, and at the end of his earthly life, something happens. Jesus is crucified, okay? He's resurrected from the dead, and he returns to heaven. And there's a yay and a not yay here, okay? The yay is salvation. Because of what Jesus has done, all of us can be saved. Hallelujah, best thing ever. Jesus, thank you for what you did, right? Here and here, thank you for what you did. But there's a downside, and it's this Jesus returning to heaven means God isn't with us anymore, right? Emmanuel, Jesus was here. He's gone. Uh-oh, we're in trouble, except that I left something out, right? And you all know what the something is. It is that Jesus says it's all a part of God's plan. This is exactly the heavenly script, Jesus going back up. And he tells us before, right, he tells us before he leaves this earth, in John 16, 7, that it is better for us that this happen. In fact, specifically, he says, it is for your good that I go away. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if he goes, I will send him to you. Now, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Okay, we could say, well, because of the Old Testament pattern, we really need God with us because we can't do spiritual life without God. That's one reason, but there's a second reason. And the second reason is because when Jesus leaves this earth, he is going to take that baton and he's going to give it to us, okay? He does it with the disciples specifically, but this is good for every follower, every apostle, everyone who ever comes after him. Jesus is giving the baton to us and saying, now it's your turn. And he does it specifically, very clearly for us in the Great Commission, and he tells us exactly what we're going to be doing. You've heard it before but I'll read it again. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now go and make disciples of all nation, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says that, you know, a little while before he dies, uh, and, but after his resurrection, just before he goes into heaven, he says it again a little differently, leaving us with the very last words that we don't ever want to forget. Here they are, Acts 1.8. Again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, a little further out in Judea, a little further out in Samaria, to the ends of the earth as well. And so the point of all that, the reason why we looked at, at, at our story 
through uh, the lens of Scripture is that we want to be very clear and very freshly reminded of the fact that we have a mission. As the church of Jesus Christ, we have a mission from Jesus. But not only do we have a mission, we have been given the power to carry out the mission. All right? And that's what this sermon series is going to be all about. The who, the what, the when, the why, everything that happened, because this is our story as well. So knowing that that's coming, I want to ask us all a question today, okay? So here's a question for the American church, all right? If I could speak to every church, I'd ask this question today. My question is, what happened to us? What happened? How did we, with all of this being done for us by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look at what God is, look at us. We are new. We, we're free. We, we have a fresh mission from Jesus Christ. We're now children of God. We, we are, in a sense, a very real spiritual sense, we are resurrected with this fresh assignment, and we have been given power from heaven to do everything God has called us to do, to, to make a difference out there. How did we get here today? And when you look at the church across this nation, what do you see, okay? You see people, Christians, okay, filing out of the church in incredible numbers. You know, when you look generationally, and, and these are stereotypes, okay, but they're gen generally true. You, you look at a younger generation of Christians, not you guys, but there's some, right? A, a large portion of younger Christians, they are deconstructing their evangelical faith, and they're not reconstructing it with a biblical faith. You, you look at people my age, right? That middle bracket of like 30 to 60, so many Christians in that, in that, that age range right now, I mean, it is more like spiritual survival at its very best, if they've even held on to the faith. You have an older generation who basically is holding the church together right now. They're holding the line, sometimes, albeit, a little too tightly. None of you, but others, you know? But, but I mean, this is, where, this, this is where the church in general is. How did we get to a place where today, if we look at the church in America, the best words that describe it are discontented, discouraged, tired, frustrated, and especially after the last couple of years? That's a really good question. So let me pause while you think about that, and I'm going to tell you a story. Um, back when I was in college, uh, just a few years ago, uh, back in college, I worked at a, summer, a Christian summer camp for two years, Camp Oak Hill in Oxford, North Carolina. I worked there as a, as a freshman and a sophomore, and had a great time. I mean, oh man, I was a camp counselor. I was the uh, archery person. So I told, have I ever told the archery story in here? I don't think I have. Marvin, no. Marvin says, no. One day I'm teaching all these kids archery. They're like seven, eight, nine years old. So I'm like, all right, you know, get your stance, pull the bow down. And, I, you know, we're, we start off very close, big hay targets. So all these kids are shooting arrows and this black snake comes out of the woods. So the kids are just firing along. Next thing I know, the kids see the snake, every bow and arrow. Phew, arrows are flying off rocks, hitting trees, ricocheting back. It was a war zone, okay? Um, maybe that's why I only lasted two years. But anyway, so I'm, I'm a counselor at this camp, 
And there was only one church in this, in this uh, area that had a reputation for being really vibrant, and it was a large black church. So I thought, you know what? I'm going where there's life, so I'm going to this church. So I go to the church, and I was blown away by the energy of these people, especially their pastor, Brother Mac Timberlake. And, uh, but it was, it was just incredible. I mean, I was just entranced by this. But what really got me was the worship. I, I mean, I got a, as a rather white person at the time, I was given a crash course in worship at this church. And there was one Wednesday night where we're, we're all sitting there worshiping, you know, we're, uh, you know, just really just enjoying the Lord. And this, <laughs> this older woman turned around and she looked at me and she goes, oh no, honey, oh no. Um, you have got to loosen up. You look like a stick, and we are worshiping the living God. And so I, I loosened up because she was bigger than me, and I didn't want to get pounded. So I loosened up, but there was one song that they sang. It still gets me to this day. There was one song that defined this church. This song captured who they were, and I'm going to sing it for you, okay? It goes like this. I should have had some water close by. The song goes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let all God's people praise the Lord. Shake off those heavy bands, let's lift up holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Thank you. Be sure to tip your server later. Okay. But what struck me about this song, okay, here's what got me about this song. This was a people that had a history of oppression in this nation, okay? I mean, as a group, you can look back to colonial slavery, tremendous oppression. You could look to civil rights, which was only 25 years old at the time. You could look to racial discrimination. But here's what they were doing with this song. They were saying, we will not be defined by that. Now, we're not going to forget our history. Our, our history informs our future. But we are not going to be bound by the shackles of offense and injury. We are going to shake that off in the name of Jesus for the cause of Christ, for the mission of Jesus. And it was one of the most beautiful lessons I ever learned. You know, Jane and I were talking a couple days ago in our devotion, and, and I looked up to her and I said, Jane, you know what? I've had it. I have had it and I have had enough. And she gave me one of these looks like, uh-oh, where are we going with this conversation? And, and I just said, Jane, I, I, I've just had it. You know, with all the pandemics, the politics, the division, all, all the victimization in this nation, and even coming from the church, just everybody's a victim in these days. I said, babe, I'm ready to shake this off in Jesus' name and get on with living. I'm ready. Every day we wake up, every day a Christian wakes up is the day the Lord's made. Every day is the day that we rejoice and we are glad. That, that, that is our reality. And so I've been praying something over myself and all of you for the last couple of days. If you want this prayer, I'll give it to you because I'm going to keep praying it for the next little while. It's kind of a mashup. I think we can do this with Scripture. A mashup of Psalm 51 and Romans 15. And the prayer is this. Lord, restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us your willing spirit to sustain us. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him, so that we overflow with hope 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've been praying that for a reason, and it's this. I think anything else for us from being in this place, anything other than that leads to discouragement, disillusionment, you know, uh, uh, fatigue and spiritual frustration. And I think what happens to the church when we're not in this place with the Lord, I think what happens to the church is one of three things. We become either a museum, you know, and a museum is great. You come for a couple hours, enjoy whatever, you go home. We become either a museum or, or a spiritual or a social club, I should say, or the church just becomes a mess instead of the mission that God made us to be. And listen, folks, I'll tell you this. I heard this a long time ago. Somebody grabbed me up, a guy named Ken, grabbed me up and he said, Steve, I'm going to tell you something. If the church is not organized around the Great Commission, it ain't even the church. That really sticks with me. So I, I just pray you can hear all that today. And so as we move to communion in just a minute, you're going to have a second to reflect, to pray, to think. As we move to communion, I challenge you today. I challenge you to shake off the dust of this world. And I invite you to once again just clothe yourself in Christ. But I also invite you to make room in your heart and in your life for the spirit of the living God to move in us and through us as a church throughout this year as we really dig into this book. Deal? Deal. All right, let me pray for us. Father God, we, we love you. And Father, we, we want in every way to be clothed, not only with, with power. Some people get stuck right there in power and ecstasy. We, we, we don't want to stop short like that. Father, we, we want to be clothed with the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, just the motivation of Jesus. We want to be filled to overflowing with your spirit. And Father God, we, we want to also be like Joseph as we, as we kind of leave the nativity now with the season. Joseph, who never had a recorded word in Scripture. But the one thing we know about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was that he did everything he was commanded. God, we want to be those kind of people who live this faith for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.